Well, hello. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? I, I bet that you have the question in your mind, why is this dude wearing a varsity jacket that expired 14 years ago? My response would be, you mean besides the fact that wearing a varsity jacket that expired 14 years ago is ridiculously cool? Maybe not, but today I want to use this jacket to help take you back to a better time and a better place. Okay, obviously a varsity jacket represents high school athletics, or uh, a lot of times that uh, people in marching band have one or choir have one, but it pretty much relates to high school. Now this one I want to take you a little bit further back, because honestly, my high school athletics were, for the most part, forgettable. Okay, I, I wasn't embarrassing or anything like that, but pretty much whatever sport I was in, just an average player on average teams, nothing to write home about, wasn't a superstar, didn't get recruited. So I want to take you back to the fall of 1994 and the pinnacle of my athletic career, seventh grade football. First, I got to ask, any other class of 2000 graduates? Oh, we got a few. Beautiful. Nice. I was Avondale High School, class of 2000. Any 99s? Oh, you guys just missed it. Double O, baby. Double O. That's the year right there. It happens every 100 years. Yeah, 100 years. Okay, there we go. Uh, but I want to take you back to middle school, seventh grade. And at this point, half of you are thinking, oh, he's actually older than I thought. And the other half of you are thinking, oh, I'm older than I thought. But nevertheless, I'm going to take you back. Fall of 1994, my seventh grade year, is my first year playing football. And as a first-year player, I was new to the coaches, new to the, the eighth graders who had been around the year before, and I was bringing in years and years of dreams that I was going to play professional football. I was going to play in the Super Bowl. I was going to go to Disney World after I played in the Super Bowl. I had big hopes. I had big dreams coming into this, but things didn't start out the way I had planned. See, I didn't take time to practice running in football cleats or even wearing football cleats. And so I stepped into football cleats and showed up at practice the first day and discovered that football cleats didn't agree with my feet. And I started, like they started hurting really bad to the point where, let alone running, I could, I could barely walk. And so I missed two weeks of practice in my first year playing football. And I'd be standing there at practice, no pads, no jersey, just doing nothing. And my coach would walk out and one day he walked out and I was like, what's wrong with you? I said, my feet hurt really bad. And he's like, what's the matter? You got duck feet? Now, I don't know what he meant by that, but that became my nickname. My new coach on my new football team in my first time ever playing, and I had the nickname Duck Feet. My dream was falling apart before my very eyes. But then the day happened, and I had an opportunity. See, I, I, my feet finally got used to the cleats, and I was able to run, and I was at practice, but I was still doing a lot of standing around doing nothing, because when you miss the first two weeks of practice and they have no idea who you are, they don't recognize the greatness in you. You're not really allowed to do a lot. So I was standing around with a group of other guys who weren't allowed to do a whole lot, thinking, my dream is dead. And here I was, this wide receiver. And if you don't know football that well, wide receiver is the guy who stands far away, and when they say hike, he runs down the field and catches the ball. That was my job. It was supposed to be my job. But here we are this one day of practice, and somehow, some way, I don't remember how, but the receiver in that day got hurt. And yes, we only had one receiver because we passed so little. And so the receiver got hurt, and my coach looked up from the huddle and said, I need a receiver over here. And I was like, 
I'm a, I'm a receiver. And I, I went, boom, I just took off and ran into that huddle. I didn't ask questions. I didn't ask for permission. I just went. And I found myself in that huddle. And you got to understand, like I said, we did not pass. This was, we were old school. 99 times out of 100, we ran the ball. And so the receiver didn't get a lot of action. But for some reason, I don't know why, that particular day, that particular moment, when the receiver had just gotten hurt, our coach decided he wanted to see what our quarterback could do. And so he called a passing play that day in practice. It was 314 streak, very simple. Go out there and stand, and when he says hike, sprint down the field as fast as you can, and we'll throw you the ball. So I did that. And so we break the huddle, and I'm out there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Little Duck Feet is going to be a hero. <laughs> this is my opportunity. My heart was racing. I, like my, I felt sick to my stomach, but it was my chance. And so they said hike, and I went running down the field, and the pass was horrendous way overthrown and so I did the only thing I could think to do in that moment is I just jumped and I extended and I reached out and I was horizontal to the ground and now it was 1994 we didn't really have cameras back then so I don't have a visual for you but I imagine it looked something like this all right so if you can kind of take me and put me there that's what we're dealing with, okay? And I see a Michigan State jersey down here. I apologize. There wasn't a state moment like that. I'm sorry, okay? I tried. No, come on. I, I, I'm not Brad. He, he would be all over you right now. But um, So put my face in that picture, and that's the situation we're dealing with. Completely stretched out. My hopes and my dreams. Disney World, Super Bowl MVP, hanging in the balance. My entire life rested on how this turned out, and I caught the ball. I caught the ball, landed, and from that day forward, I was the starting wide receiver, and it revolutionized my middle school football career. Amazing. Amazing. Now, that was, that was silly. I, I think we have all had those dreams at one point in our life, right? I think we probably still have some along those lines now in our, in our life context as it exists today. It's quite a bit more domesticated than Super Bowl MVP or astronaut or something like that. But we have dreams for ourselves, for our kids. Sometimes personal goals, professional goals, maybe even faith-based goals. But I think if we were really honest about our dreams, we would admit that it really comes down to an inherent desire to matter. We want to make a difference, whether it's based on money or position or our spouse or, or finding fame or respect, popularity. Maybe it's Goals to build our kingdom or goals to build God's kingdom, they're all tied to a core desire to have influence, to have impact on someone or something. Because our dreams, they don't exist in a vacuum. If what we're accomplishing isn't impacting people or scenarios in, in the world, we're not really accomplishing much. And so our dreams are tied to that. We want to leave a mark. We want to matter. And even if you're someone, maybe you're sitting out there and you're thinking, Justin, I don't honestly really care. Somebody dragged me here. I don't care about having influence. I just want to be by myself. Not that big of a deal. But I would say to you, I bet when all of this is said and done, you want to be remembered, don't you? You want to be known for something. You want someone to remember you. That's impact. That's influence. I think we're all still that seventh grade kid who just wants to play because my dream of the Super Bowl had been reduced to, I just want to do something. I just want to contribute. I want to be a part of what's going on. I think we're all still that kid. And if you don't believe me, just think of the movies that you've watched that include a great hero or heroine in them. I bet you'd much rather be Luke Skywalker than the nameless dude who crashes into the Death Star into a ball of fire, never to be heard from again, and the celebration goes on without him. 
I bet you'd rather be William Wallace than the nobles who sell him out halfway through the movie and have no part in obtaining freedom in the story. I bet you'd even rather be Frodo than Frodo's neighbor who stays behind and farms the Shire while he's off on his adventures. I do want to throw a note in there. If you or someone you know have gotten your dreams to the point where you would like to be a hobbit, I'm going to encourage you to just shoot higher. Just go for it, please. I understand that hobbits have their own special powers and they're magical in their humble way. But shoot higher than Hobbit, please. But you get what I'm trying to say. You want to be the person in the story who has an impact on the outcome, who matters. And so I think back on my moment in seventh grade that just totally kept my dream alive, gave me an opportunity, this little middle school football career. And I got to ask the question, where were the other guys? What were they doing? Because like I said, I wasn't standing there by myself. There was a whole group of us wishing that we were doing more. But when that coach yelled, what were they doing? They had dreams. They wanted to do more, but they, they didn't respond in the same way. Maybe they were just talking. Maybe they were busy just kicking the dirt. Maybe they were joking around. Maybe they were complaining, mourning the death of their own dream, perhaps. Maybe thinking they deserve better, wishing that things were better for them. Maybe they just chose the wrong time to adjust their jock. I don't know. Whatever it was... They were waiting for an obvious, big opportunity to come their way, but it came quickly and quietly, and they just plain missed it. Aren't we like that with our dreams, too? Aren't we like that in our own life context, where we have dreams of impact and influence, but really, the influence that we want to have vastly overshadows what we're currently experiencing. You want more, but even with that desire, you're not getting it. How come? Honestly, I think we just plain miss it. We miss out on so many opportunities for impact and influence because we're waiting for something bigger to come along and smack us in the face. This is something that goes way back. As human beings, we want to be all in on stuff. We heard from Adam, our junior high pastor, last week, and he challenged us to be all in in this life thing and, and, and to be sold out to what we're doing. But as human beings, when we're all in, we want it big, we want it next level. Even since the beginning, there's stories in the Bible where Jesus is challenging uh, people like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, because he started to see that they, want, they wanted the influence to be big. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted people to see them and respect them and, and to just know who they were and, and think they were great. And so he smacked them down a little bit. And, and we even see Jesus' own disciples. A couple of them came to him and said, Jesus, when you're king, when, when your kingdom comes, we know you're going to be number one, of course, you're God. But we want to be number two. How do we make that happen? Jesus himself was tempted, and the devil came to him and offered him the kingdoms of the world and all the power that he could handle. And that in itself was a direct attack on Jesus' own humanity, his human nature, to want big, to want more. And we can go back all the way to the the Tower of Babel, which happened right after the the flood, the, the story of the flood, where humanity has gotten a second chance. We've been spared. We have an opportunity to start over and do things the right way. And instead, the first thing we want to do is build a tower as high as we can and go up and chat with God. That's just what we do. And it's the same with us today. And, you know, sometimes it's arrogance. We think we deserve more. We think we deserve better. We, we think things are not as big as they, we think that they should be. And sometimes it's, it's misplaced enthusiasm where we're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to change the world. And then we miss some of those opportunities that come along as we're dreaming huge. Sometimes we just have the wrong perspective where we assume that in order to have big influence, we have to have big power and big title. 
And sometimes it's just really good motives, but our heart's ego gets in the way. And so we see strong leaders who've been working hard and serving, but they get to the point where they think they've, they've put in their time. And we see talented young professionals who are shooting for the stars, which is awesome, but they think that some of the, the early opportunities are beneath them and they want more right away. Sometimes we see dads who want to raise up great kids and maybe even train a, an athletic superstar of their own, but they're not even willing to change diapers or play horse in the driveway. This is something, as, as I've... I was someone who grew up in church and now work at a church, and this is something I see a lot where everybody seems to want the solo. Everybody wants to lead the biggest ministry. Everybody wants to know the pastor and be noticed. And this is something that we just do. It's human nature. Our hearts and minds naturally gravitate towards those big things. We want to be the one. We want to be the hero in the story. We want the big stuff. But we don't want the little things, the mundane things, the trivial stuff that goes along with it. And so a lot of times as a result, we just choose to do nothing. We do nothing. And, and those dreams that we have of having influence and having impact are completely lost there. Maybe you can relate to a time you think back and you, and you passed up some opportunities thinking that there would be something bigger and you missed an opportunity to have an impact and have some influence. And as a part of that, our chance to evolve and experience the progression of different steps and, and experiences is lost with that. And while we're waiting for our chance for something big, I think there's a lot of kids not being loved. There's friends, marriages falling apart around us. There's employees feeling unvalued. And I think, honestly, there's a lot of grandkids roaming around who just assume that retirement is death's waiting room. And we've progressed from the point of, oh my gosh, someone really needs to do something, to the point of, man, someone really should have done something. And years down the road, we find that we've simply been filling a seat. I think a lot of times we find ourselves waiting for a touchdown pass to fall into our lap, and we just plain miss it. But we can have the impact that we're looking for. Some of the dreams that we have for ourselves and for our kids and the people around us for our lives, we can achieve those things. We can have the impact. We can have the influence. And so I want to look at a story in the Bible today that I think will lead us in that direction. So if you'll join me, jump to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And before I jump into it, I've got to give you a little bit of a background, because we're going to talk a little bit about a guy named King David. Now, whether you've been around church your whole life, or maybe this is a new thing to you, you'll probably recognize David from the story of David and Goliath. Pretty popular, even in pop culture, you'll hear references like that. This is the same David. Now, David is finally king of Israel. And I say finally because it's been a bit of a journey for him. There was already a king in Israel. That king had a son. And naturally, this King Saul wanted his son to end up being king, but because of some circumstances and some, some issues that Saul had, God decided he was going to anoint David as the next king instead of Saul's son. And so there was quite a bit of conflict, quite a bit of drama that went on in order for David to become the king eventually. And even as he took the throne, there was a lot of conflict with other people within his kingdom who wanted that position, who wanted some authority in the country and were challenging his, his kingship. And so David is finally king. And as king, he wants to kill two birds with one stone right off the bat. Number one, he wants to establish his city. He wants to build his palace. He wants to rule. And he has chosen Jerusalem to be that city. So he wants to take Jerusalem as his city. The problem is the Jebusites already live there. And so that's where goal number two comes in. The Jebusites were definitely formidable in that area. And so David sees this as an opportunity to punch them in the mouth and let everyone around them know that David is legit, 
He is a king to be reckoned with. Israel is for real. And so that's where we pick up the story here in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 6. They're going to throw it on the screens for you, or you can follow on your app or your Bible. And it starts this way. It says, the king, that's David, and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. And they thought, David cannot get in here. And so here's the thing. The walls of Jerusalem were very intimidating to the point where the Jebusites were extremely confident, even arrogant about their situation. And they said, David, we could put blind guards up on the wall. We could put the lame up on the wall. And we would trust them to defend us as as well as anybody else. You're not getting in here. So the story continues. Nevertheless, David captures the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Now, this would make for a terrible movie based on this script. We want that city. You'll never get in this city. We're in the city. (laughs) It's kind of not what we're looking for out of the, the conflict and the main part of the story. But it continues on, and we'll get to a little bit more. Verse 8. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. So this is where the story gets a little bit interesting. See, David recognized that the walls were intimidating. He knew that it would be tough to get through, break through the gate, and take the city in a normal siege type of way. So David says, here's how it's going to go down. If if we're going to take this city, we're going to have to take it from the inside out. And so whoever's going to do this is going to need to go through the inside. There was a system of tunnels under the city. And what what it offered was an opportunity for people living within Jerusalem to get water without ever leaving the walls. They could travel down through this tunnel and come to this, this drop of 40 feet straight down and now, in here, if, if you're back at the sound booth, I've been told if you're standing on the floor right there, up to the metal structure right below the ceiling is about 40 feet. So that's the climb you're dealing with. And they would lower the buckets down this hole, draw the water, and pull it back up, and they'd never have to leave the city. And so David says, if we're going to get in, someone's got to go up that shaft. Somebody's got to make that climb and get us in from the inside. That's where the story gets pretty interesting. Now, it doesn't tell us any more here, and it leaves out a very important, very subtle detail, a very important moment that arises in this story. But for that, we've got to go to a different book. So jump to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 4, and the story picks up pretty much where we've already been. It says, David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion. So it leaves out the water shaft part, and it still leaves out some details that that I think we got to get to. Verse 6, David had said, whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander-in-chief. And yes, he meant the same thing that we would mean today. And so Joab, son of Zariah, went up first, and so he received the command. This is a ridiculous opportunity here. See, we live in an American context full of elections and appointed positions and hirings and firings and interviews and all this kind of stuff. Imagine if we said, whoever fixes health care, you're going to be the next president. (laughs) You can get down with that, right? Whoever figures out the debt, whoever solves our deficit problem on a yearly basis, you get to be in charge. That sounds pretty crazy in a way, but that's what David is basically offering here. If you get the job done, if you accomplish this mission, I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the title. And so Joab takes advantage. 
But I got asked the same question as I asked about my seventh grade football experience. Joab takes advantage, but what were the other guys doing? Where were they when this opportunity gets thrown out? Maybe talking? Maybe scared? Maybe waiting for King David to wander into camp and stumble into their tent and appoint them general? But Joab takes advantage, and there's not a lot of detail, but, but, but why Joab? I got to believe this was a dangerous mission. See, as they've excavated Jerusalem more, they've discovered even guard towers over the area where these tunnels would come up. And so I got to believe that this was a mission. This was an opportunity that had a high probability of failure. David probably knew that even in offering this opportunity, the guy who led this attack might not come home alive. And so this was a dangerous mission. This was an others-centered mission. This was the dirty work. This was a mission that was about serving the army for the greater good. Now, there's some of you out there, there's some Navy SEAL types. You'd be like, yeah, I'm going in. But for most of us, this might be an opportunity that we pass up. And for the guys there around Joab hearing this opportunity, even the opportunity for future greatness and future power and future opportunity wasn't enough to prod them into a moment of service. But Joab took advantage. And I think he understood something that I would love for us to capture this morning. See, Joab, he had some moments earlier before these stories where he tried to shoot big a little too early. He tried to take advantage of some opportunities and found himself in some tough spots. But I think he had progressed to the point where he understood that our greatest impact is found in a subtle call to service and action. Our greatest impact is found in a subtle call to service and action. Joab didn't let influence, he didn't wait for that to just fall into his lap. He took advantage, he he took action, and he acted on behalf of others, and he let the rest take care of itself. And we see Joab later in the Old Testament fighting battles, winning wars, having a major impact on the future of the Israelite nation. See, his mission of service, of sacrifice, and of humility provided him with an opportunity for more later. Later. You see, the same truth is reestablished over and over in Jesus' ministry in the New Testament. Jump to Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus is teaching here, Matthew 23, verse 12, and he says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We can go a few pages before that, back to Matthew chapter 20, to, to really some famous verses in the Bible. Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together. He's talking to his closest disciples and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Small is made big. Humility is lifted up. Service is rewarded with tremendous impact. See, we like it the other way around, though, don't we? We we like to start big. We want things big. But I think it's very likely that your definition of big and more and measurable has blinded you to some subtle opportunities to serve and act and influence. But if we can capture this truth, if we, can, if we can grab hold of the small opportunities and the small steps and embrace those, 
we can begin a journey towards greater and greater and greater impact. We put together a video for you to check out about one of Northridge's very own that started in one of your seats and experienced a journey that's really cool. Check it out. I was invited to the glory of Christmas in 1996 um, from a friend of my mother's. So we came to the concert, and um, it was just amazing. I grew up singing um, in a small church. I had never seen anything in a church like this, and I finally felt like I understood God in color, like a, to see the story of Christ um, portrayed that way. My life was changed, and I accepted Christ at that concert, and not long after that, I decided that I'd love to be a part of being in choir. I was in choir for about six months, and then they had a, an option to try out for praising, and so I decided to take a step of faith and trial for praise team and through that audition she uh, mentioned to Paul Black music director to give me a chance to try out for um, a really really small solo for the glory of Christmas and so um, I remember a Wednesday night being in the auditorium after church service and going down to the piano and singing with all this group of people standing around and um, he said sure why not let's give her a chance so it was about eight lines in, this, in the concert. It was um, probably small to a lot of people, but it was a really big deal to me. Just in that year, what God had done in my life that I was gonna get to be a part of the concert that changed my life. To get to be in choir, and then to get to be in praise team, and then to get to be in the glory of Christmas, um, that I could have never imagined that God would open the door for me to get to be a worship leader. Having the opportunity to uh, sing worship to God on your own is awesome enough, but then to have the opportunity and the privilege to help um, lead other people uh, into uh, a worship experience with God is something that um, I truly consider one of the greatest privileges of my life. And it has, it changes me every, every time. So it truly is amazing to me all the things that God has um, allowed me to do, big, small, that he has opened so many doors for me. And because of those things, serving him and loving him and giving back to him is the least that I could do. So many opportunities that that girl has had. Christy has had an opportunity to lead worship and literally sing to tens of thousands of people over the years but it didn't start there. It started small. I even asked Paul, our, our worship director here at Northridge, I said, Paul, let, let's say that day of that glory of Christmas when, when Christy felt that call to do something and get involved and take a step. And let's say she walked into your office and said, Paul, I just received this call from God. I'm supposed to do this. I want to lead worship next week. What would you have said? He said he would have said, no way. She's not ready. She's not ready. But she captured that subtle opportunity, that subtle opportunity to act and it's led to so many different opportunities over the years and so maybe you're sitting there thinking okay how do I capture that how do I start that journey in my own life and and begin experiencing things and taking steps and having an impact well the first thing I would say is you need to start taking action where it's needed not where it's going to be noticed Take action where it's needed, not where it's going to be noticed. The verses that we could visit for this, I'm going to run through them really quick. 
just to name a few, Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. It's to be honored by others. But truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. John 5.44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It's about the small, it's about the subtle, it's about seeking God's glory and not glory from other people. There's so many other examples from Jesus' life and ministry where we see unnoticed service, unnoticed action that led to world-changing impact. And so it's important to remember, sometimes we need to prove faithful in the little things before the big things can become available to us. And many times those little things are preparing us for the bigger steps that are to come. Maybe you're a mom, a stay-at-home mom that's home all day, every day, and just thinking, man, when is this gonna pay off? When is this gonna matter? Maybe you're a dad who when you're considering, oh, I'm gonna go from work and go home, I can only be there for 10 minutes, is it worth it for me to be there when they get home from school? Maybe you've got a parent who's been struggling with health issues and you've been investing hours upon hours and just thinking, man, when is this gonna matter? When is this gonna pay off? Just remember that those minutes add up. They are so huge. And even in the midst of small steps that we're taking, tremendous impact can be had. Maybe even now you're just not sure. Maybe I've, even hopefully I've created some tension in your mind between the big and the small. You've been dreaming big, but maybe passing up small opportunities and you're trying to see those, but at the same time you have these dreams and maybe that tension is building and maybe you'll get to that point again where you just choose to do nothing instead of deal with it. But here's what I want to encourage you with today. Do something. Do something. Take some action. Have some conversations. Do some research. If, you, if you've been moved by something, if, you, if you've been impact, impacted by something, if you've noticed a need, if someone has been drawn to your, your attention has been drawn to them, take one positive step in that direction and let one step lead to the next. Do anything but nothing. There's another story in the Bible that Jesus tells about this master who goes out of town and leaves his three servants behind. And he goes to servant number one and he says, hey man, I'm gonna be out of town. Here's what I need you to do for me. Here's five bags of gold. I need you to care for this. I'm entrusting it to you. I trust you. Do whatever you think is best with this. And I'll be back in a bit. And he goes to servant number two and he says, servant number two, here's two bags of gold. I need you to care for this for me. I'm entrusting this to you. Do whatever you think is best and I'll be back later. And he goes to servant number three and he says, servant number three, I've got one bag of gold for you. I know it's not as much as the other guy's got, but it's one bag of gold, but I'm entrusting this to your care. Do whatever you think is best. And I'll be back to check in some other time. And the master goes away, and he comes back after a certain amount of time and goes to servant number one and says, hey, remember I left you with those five bags. How's, how's it going for you? How, what's our status on those? And he says, master, I worked hard, I invested, and these five bags I've turned into ten. Here you go. And he goes to servant number two, and he says, hey, remember when I left a while ago? I left you with those two bags of gold. What's our status with those? And the servant said, master, I worked hard, and I invested, and I turned these two bags into four, and here you go. And the master's like, great job, guys. Well done. This is great. And he goes to servant number three and says, hey, 
I, you know, I remember I left you with less than the rest of the other guys, and, but I did leave you with one bag of gold. So how are we doing with that? What have you done for me? I sort of said, man, sir, I, you know, when you left, I got to thinking, I thought, man, he, he's a great businessman, very savvy in the, in the business world, knows how to invest, knows how to, how, to, how to deal with things like this. And I got a little worried that I was going to screw it up for you. And so instead, I just dug a hole and buried the bag. But here it is. And I can see the master in that moment just so frustrated, like, what, what do you mean here it is? I wanted you to do something with it. I left you with this bag. I left you with this talent. I left you with this resource, with this opportunity. Do something with it. Anything but nothing. And so whatever it is, maybe it's investing in kids or students. Maybe it's mentoring a young couple or, or sponsoring a child or preparing one meal, sending a kid to camp, sending one encouraging Facebook note. Maybe it's as simple as doing five minutes of Google research on the video that came across your Facebook page that just moved you to tears. Maybe it's committing to be a servant in your own home to your own family. Whatever it is, do something. Take some step in a positive direction and let it lead to more. Now, if you're looking for easy, obvious opportunities, I want to push you. Maybe it's in the Northridge world here. We've got opportunities. I would encourage you, head to northridgechurch.com slash volunteer, and that'll open up a page for you listing all kinds of ministries, all kinds of different age groups and opportunities. It's a great place to start to just see, where can I jump in? What's a step that I can take? And even more specific, we've got an event coming up in just over a month called Two Million Meals. And if you've been around for a few years, you know that a couple years ago we did one million meals, and now we're doubling up on that. And this is an opportunity to, to, to pack and prepare meals that are going to be sent overseas for kids in need. And we're looking for two million. If that sounds like an opportunity for you, go to northridgechurch.com slash 2MM, and that'll explain how you can get involved with that. Even right in the building here, we've got a starting point desk out in the hallway right by the, the guest services desk that you can stop, and they are literally waiting for you right now to walk up and say, hey, what can I do? What's next for me? What's a step that I can take? And they would love to chat with you. Discovery Island is passing out things today, encouraging parents and all adults to just find some way to serve there. There's so many places inside Northridge, outside of Northridge, where you can take those steps and do something, whether it's noticed or not. And there's one final thing I want to throw at you before I let you go this morning. It's really huge. I want to contrast for you the difference between doing good stuff and doing God stuff. Okay, the last verse I want to give you is John chapter 6, and it's verse 27, and this is Jesus talking again. John 6, 27, he says, Do not work for food that spoils. Don't work for the now. Don't work for the temporary. But for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man, which Jesus himself will give you. We do a lot of really good stuff. We do some great stuff. But no matter how much food we give people, they're going to get hungry again. No matter how many shoes we give out, they're going to wear out. No matter how much we do, it's going to end up being temporary. But if we're doing those things out of a heart that's been changed, out of a heart that's experienced Christ, out of a, a life that's experienced Jesus and all he has to offer, then it's not just us doing it. Then it's God feeding, and it's God clothing, and it's God serving. And that's an opportunity we have to take it from just good stuff to being God stuff. And that can have a lifelong, eternal impact 
And that can wake people up to what Jesus is and what he's all about. But the key is, in order to wake other people up, you have to be awake. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning because there may be some here who have never made the decision to give your life to Christ and start fresh and acknowledge to God that you believe that Jesus was God and that he came for you to die for you, to serve you so that you could start over, so that you could be forgiven. And maybe even regrets that you've experienced from opportunities missed can be wiped away and you can begin anew. Let's pray together. And if that's you today, I would love for you to pray this with me as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed. Just say, God, I've tried doing it on my own. I've tried to be good enough. I've tried to measure up. I've, I've tried to do good stuff. But God, it's not good enough. It's just me. God, I need more. I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus to serve me, to die for me. Forgive me of my mistakes my sins, my regrets. Take that away. And God, from this day forward, help me to love you and live for you. Amen. If you prayed that today or if you made any other decision to to get involved somewhere, to take a step in a positive direction, we would love to hear from you. The program you received on your way in the door has a perforated flap on the inside. If you would just tear that off for us, throw your contact information on there and let us know where you're at and the step that you're taking. And if you made a first-time decision to follow Christ, there's a place at the bottom that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life for the first time. Just check that off, and there are brown boxes at the, at the back of the room at every door. If you're watching Church On Demand, there's a tab at the top of your page that you can click, and that'll offer you some next steps, because here's what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to pray for you. As a staff, we do. And number two, we want to get some information into your hands that can help you start taking some next steps in your relationship with Christ. Because we want to see you grow. We want to see you experience all that there is to to experience. Because these are decisions that are between you and God. But our lives should be lived in community and and experiencing that together. And so as we continue our faith journey, and for some of us, maybe even starting it out today, if we can embrace those subtle opportunities to serve and take action, not only are we going to be impacted, but we can impact other people. And then we can look back years down the road and see what those successions of experiences and those steps that we've taken, the impact that those have had on us, on our families, on our workplace, and the people around us that we come in contact with. And as we pursue greater impact and influence, I want to encourage you, start small and let God take your dreams to heights that you've never dreamed of. Thanks for coming out, guys. Drive safe today.